1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God, and it is the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am, seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. So I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We'll start off again in Luke 8:11. We're in this series on four things we must confess. And when we deal with topics like faith, prayer, healing, prosperity, or confession, don't tune us out. Don't say, well, I've heard all that. Because we're walking in greater revelation and greater blessing than we have ever before. Since we're on confession, let me tell you something I told Sue and Austin in the area behind the stage before the service. I said, I'll tell you what changed everything in my life, what changed everything at Faith Christian Center is several years ago, I began opening every prayer with this confession. With joy and gladness, with joy and gladness, with joy and gladness, do I serve you, O Lord my God, in my day of prosperity? I, I don't ever pray anymore without making that confession three times and like that. Like that, everything changed financially. I'm telling you, there's great power because you cannot serve this great and beautiful and wonderful Father God with a complaint in your mouth or dragging your backside to heaven. He just doesn't appreciate the poor mouthing and the complaining. Say it out loud. With joy and gladness. With joy and gladness. With joy and gladness. Do I serve you, O Lord my God, in my day of prosperity? Hallelujah. So have ears to hear. Tell your neighbor, have ears to hear. Luke 8, 11, Jesus said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And God gave us his word to change our lives. We are to sow the good seed of God's word into the soil of our lives. And one way we do that is via confession. And the seed knows its business. I drove onto the property this morning, and guess what? Guess what wildflowers are out there? There's a, flu, a few blue bonnets, not that many, but guess what's out there by the acre? Indian paint. Well, we didn't plant them. We didn't sow the seed. Somewhere back in time, that Indian paint seed got out there on all that tens of acres, and guess what? Every year without fail, 
we have Indian paint wildflowers out there. We have a, a few blue bonnets, but mainly Indian paint. And uh, we don't tractor mow in those areas. We enjoy those flowers while they're there with no effort. With no effort. Because that's the power of a seed. And when you plant the wrong seed, like marrying the wrong guy, the crop just keeps coming. Or how about the wrong gal? The crop just keeps coming and coming and coming. But when you plant the right seed, the crop just keeps coming and coming and coming. And out of all the good seed we could plant, what is the very best seed of all the good seed? The Word of God. So we are to sow the good seed of God's Word into the soil of our lives, our hearts. We do that by confession. And the seed knows its business. From the moment it is planted, the seed goes to work. You don't have to understand how it works. You just know it works, and then you take action. So God's Word has been given to you as a seed <clears throat> for what you need. God's Word is a seed that you plant, and the seed forces the soil to produce. So force the good soil of your heart and your life to produce with the confession of God's Word. Put pressure on the circumstances of your life with God's Word. Force your circumstances to change for the better with God's Word. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18, 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I always think of it this way, they that understand it and work it eat the fruit thereof. In your life, you are the farmer. You determine the seeds you sow. You determine the words that you speak to change your life and circumstances for the better, change what you are saying, and change what you are confessing. You know, Kenneth Hagin Jr. called me, I guess that was last week, and he, he, said, he said, I want to come preach at Faith Christian Center. I said, well, okay. And uh, then in a subsequent conversation, he said, now, we're, while we're there, he said, we're easy. He said, if you want to eat with us, we'll, we'll fellowship, we'll eat. If you don't want to be bothered with us, then, you know, he said, we're easy. And I said, no, I said, we'd love to spend time with you and eat with you because I said, faith fellowship is harder and harder to come by every year that goes by. See, when we started out, it wasn't that hard to find faith fellowship. But in 2021, a lot of the faith fellowship we had 30 years ago is hiding under a bushel because of droplets. So it's not just the words that you speak into your life. It's also the words that others speak into your life now, this is not Bible. This is positive motivational attitude stuff. But listen, if you want to make it in life, if you, want to, if you want to be a big success financially, if you want to pull ahead on the job, you've got to keep your circle small. Now, this is Bible. Jesus said, be careful how you listen. So it's not just you sowing seeds into your heart via words. It is also other people sowing seeds into your life via words because of what you're listening to. If you want to live the victorious Christian life, then you must learn to confess four things. Who you are in Christ, where you are in Christ, what you possess in Christ, 
and what you can do in Christ. And we begin every message on Sundays that way. The first thing we must confess is who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? We are new creations in Christ. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. I'm a new creation in Christ. Who are we in Christ? We are complete in Jesus. Say it out loud. I'm complete in Jesus. Who are we in Christ? We're qualified to inherit the kingdom. Say it out loud. I'm qualified to inherit the kingdom. Who are we in Christ? We are redeemed from the curse of the law. Say it out loud. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Who are we in Christ? We are the heirs of Abraham. Say it out loud. I'm an heir of Abraham. Who are we in Christ? We're blessed as we hearken and obey. Say it out loud. I'm blessed as I hearken and obey. Who are we in Christ? We are the sons of God. Say it out loud. I'm a child of God. I am his very own child. And last Sunday we got into this, who are we in Christ? We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And actually, in many ways, this is the heart of not only of this series, but also of the victorious faith walk. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say to you about this, and probably Paul is writing there about the high priesthood of Jesus under the new covenant. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. And these, this right here is where we get laying a firm foundation. These are the points in laying a firm foundation, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. But look at verse 13 in chapter 5. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And this is basically it. And really, basically, this is the beginning of understanding of faith. This is the beginning of understanding of the faith message. It's impossible to walk by faith without understanding that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And this is why you get out amongst believers that are not part of a church like this, and you're just horrified. I am. I'm just horrified at the way they talk. In Christ, we are to grow up. Tell your neighbor, grow up. Tell the neighbor on the other side, why don't you grow up? Amen. I mean, that, that kind of sounds negative, but take it in the positive. Amen. Because I just confessed, did I not, when I began this message, what Hagen confessed, we know so little. Listen, if, you, if you're not learning, you're going backwards. Because there is no neutral. You're not staying where you are. You're either going forwards or you're going backwards. One way or the other. Amen? So we want to keep growing. We want to keep maturing. In Christ, we are to grow up and mature over time. Then we are to disciple others. How can you disciple somebody else if you are not mature yourself? But how can we do that if we are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? 
Why do so many believers never master the basics of the Christian life? Because they are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Who is the believer who is always an infant, no matter how many years they go to church, a believer who is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? Who is the believer who never seems to make any progress in any area of their life, a believer not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? Why do so many Christians fail to live a blessed life? Well, they don't actually live as though they are the righteousness of God in Christ. They don't actually live a sanctified life, a life set apart unto God. I should not digress from my notes because my notes are a little long this morning, but I, I've just really been kind of loose the last three Sundays. It's not even fair. It's not. It's not even fair. We have known wonderful, 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 wonderful people. And they live for God. They probably tithed. I mean, how would I know if, who's tithing and who's not? Gave their lives to God preaching the gospel and lived their whole lives scratching and clawing. But in my world, you know, I, I get up every morning and wonder which car to drive. In my world, I come down here to Faith Christian Center and we don't owe any man anything except the debt of love. You understand? I mean, it's not even fair. And the world would say, Bernie would say, Bernie Christians would say, well, it's not fair that you have so much and we have so little. No, it's not fair. But I didn't say all the dumb things those people said. And it's all based in this understanding of righteousness. So, he leads me down paths in the middle of a message, and you have to understand I'm horrified to go there, but I do as I'm told. So, this house that Austin's living in, you know, of course it came in higher than we thought. And he said, well, he wanted to help pay for it. I said, no, not a dime. Not a nickel. I'm paying for it. It's my joy to do so. Now, now just stop a minute. Now, listen, I'll change your life. So I'm pulling out of my driveway this morning, and the Lord reminds me of this. And I, I thought, to, I didn't tell him this, but I thought, well, I'd rather not say that. And, and he says, Tell them that that is my heart toward them. Because, see, we've never mastered Matthew 6. And we worry. And we fret. And we're anxious about how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. And we never understood the Father's heart. I'll cover it. I'll cover it. I'll cover. You don't need to worry about covering a nickel. Right. 
See, that's our Father. But that's all based in this understanding of righteousness because if you sit in a church where they sing a worm such as I and you listen to sermons and you hear about how you're nothing but a sinner saved by grace and you, you, you are baptized and immersed in the formaldehyde of religion, you don't expect a doggone thing. But when you are acquainted with the teaching, the New Testament teaching on righteousness, and you understand that not because of what I did. See, it's not fair. Did I live a better life than some of those folks? Well, probably not. They're good people. Well, was I any more faithful to my wife than they were to theirs? Look, you're either faithful or you're not. There's not degrees. So... No, no. In other words, they were faithful. I was faithful. Do you understand? They spent their life preaching the gospel. I spent my life preaching the gospel. But the, the disparity of results is phenomenal. But it's based on seeds. And it's based on perspective because, see, if your heart condemns you, I'm getting ahead of myself in the message. If your heart condemns you, you can't receive anything from the Lord. And if you don't understand righteousness from the Pauline epistles, your heart is going to condemn you. Because how do I know that? Because we all got the same devil we're dealing with. And the same devil that everybody's dealing with is going to be right there when you go to the place of prayer telling you you ain't no good and, you know, you just got done confessing in church on Sunday that you're a sinner and you're a worm. I mean, what do worms deserve? What do sinners deserve? I just read the book of Revelation last night. I'll tell you what sinners deserve. They deserve all the horsemen and all the vials and all the bowls and all the angels and the earthquakes and all of that. It's not even fair. But I don't have time to worry about that because I'm enjoying all this stuff I got. I don't have time to worry about that because... <laughs> you know, you know, I, I got to decide what suit to put on and what shoes to put on and all of that. Don't have time to worry about it. Amen. But I tell you one thing, I thank God for my fathers in the faith that they, they led me into the light and they didn't lead me into the darkness. I'll tell you that. So these believers are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. As John would say, they walk in darkness not in the light. They claim to be in the light, but they're walking in darkness. See, and the sad thing is you can be saved and walk in the darkness. Such believers are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. When believers don't walk in the light or when they open the door to sin, their hearts condemn them then they have trouble praying in faith and getting answers because their hearts condemn them. Here we are, 1 John 3.21, 1 John 3.21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And so you could sit here this morning and come to the wrong conclusion. All I need is to understand 
the Pauline epistles on righteousness. No, that's not it. I've got to obey his commands and do what pleases him. You could make a mistake here this morning and say, well, all I've got to do is obey his commands and do what pleases him. No, no, no. You've also got to understand what Paul wrote about righteousness. They are like two horses pulling a sled. You've got to have them both. You've got to have them both. You've got to have them both. You've got to understand righteousness. Then you've got to obey him and do what he commands. You've got to obey him and do what he commands and you've got to understand righteousness and frankly a lot of the faith movement is filled with people that have been taught what righteousness is but they don't obey him and they don't do what pleases him the bible tells us that satan is the accuser of their brethren but praise god jesus is our advocate our defense our intercessor praise god jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us so don't give the enemy any ammo to accuse you with. We've all sinned, sure, we've all made mistakes, but if you've confessed it and repented and asked the Father's forgiveness in the name of Jesus, it's forgiven and it's under the blood of Jesus. So pray in faith with confidence, knowing our Heavenly Father hears and answers. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know... And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, say it out loud, shout it out loud, whatever we, ask. whatever we ask. We know that we have what we ask of him, but it's based on knowledge of the word of God. There's not any good thing I know of in the New Testament based on ignorance. I said there's not any good thing I know of in the New Testament based on ignorance. And if you have a Bible or a way to make notes, you ought to jot these two passages down. 1 John 3, 21, 22. 1 John 5, 14, 15. They're some of the very most important verses in the Bible. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Shout out loud. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know, I know the mind reacts to this. See, on the way over here this morning, I'm listening to Kenneth Hagin. Corresponding actions. And he says, your greatest enemy, this is surprising. You would think he would say your greatest enemy is the devil. He said, your greatest enemy is the flesh. And your natural mind ed educated through your flesh. Because the only way to educate the natural mind is through what we can see, taste, touch, hear, or smell. So your flesh and your natural mind, we could say it this way, natural thinking, which has been ed educated through your flesh. How did I know 13 months ago? How did I know 13 months ago? That COVID, the, the COVID is real. The government response to COVID. How did I know 13 months ago the, the government response to COVID was nothing but bulldookie? How did I know that it was that the, the death rate when you pulled out all of the inflation would be in the, the realm of seasonal flu? How did I know? I didn't think, I didn't guess, I knew. I did not know that through the flesh. And I did not know that through my natural mind educated by my flesh. I knew it by revelation knowledge. 
You ought to do yourself a favor. We're out in the cafe, but I think you can go online and get it. Two kinds of knowledge. Your life will never under... You will never walk in the supernatural power of God until you understand the two kinds of knowledge. Two plus two is four. I don't care what they say. A boy's a boy. A girl's a girl. I don't care what they say. But I know that through my natural mind educated by my, through my flesh. I know that. But, but to know that I have a hundredfold return coming on the $15,000 I gave Jeremiah and Julia Thomas to pay their church off, I don't know that through the natural mind. I don't know that through my natural thinking. I don't know that through my mind educated by my flesh. No, 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 no. I need revel- I, got, I, I know that by revelation knowledge. There's two kinds of knowledge. And natural thinking will never get you to the realm of the miraculous. See, I'm old enough now. I remember when I used to wake up in the morning and I felt refreshed. But some days I wake up now and the very first thought that I think is, I need a nap. (laughs) But I'm not, you know what I'm talking about, brother? Hallelujah. Yeah. But but we don't go by that. See, we don't go by how we feel. We don't go by what we think. We don't go by what people say. Wear a mask. Wear two masks. Screw you. I'm a I'm I am who God says I am. I'm where God says I am. I have what God says I have. And I can do what God says I can do. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me this morning? It'll change your life. It'll revolutionize your life. You'll never be broke another day in your life. You'll never be sick another day in your life. You'll never be walked on another day in your life by the devil. And you'll never live another day of your life under the feet of this world. Hallelujah. You know, first time I heard Fauci say, everybody's going to get it. I thought, the hell you say? But even if I get it, I'll get it and not even know I had it and have immunities to it, not even know I have immunities. I mean, because I got God on the inside of me. I got God on the inside of me. I got God. This is all basic stuff, people. I said, this is all basic stuff. This is not advanced stuff. This is basic stuff. If you're a child of God and you have fear in your heart, you're not doing Christianity properly. Fear of anything. I mean, if this building started shaking 10 feet to one side and shaking 10 feet to the other side, going up 10 feet and down 10 feet, I'd just start dancing because I'd say, this is it, man, I'm out of here. In other words, I'm not going to hide. I'm not afraid. Hallelujah. I've got God on the inside of me, so what can the devil do to me? Do you understand how it'll change your life? Tell your neighbor, change your mind. Change your life. Tell the neighbor on the other side, change your attitude. Change your life. There's a lady right here on the front row, you know. 
somebody told her, man, you better be careful of this. This was about a year ago. You better be careful of this stuff because, you know, your age. And she came and she told me, you know, uh, what they were saying. I said, yeah. I said, you, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. I said, you got to be careful because you could be on the streets of Zion tomorrow. I don't understand fear. I said, I don't understand fear. Hallelujah. To be, to be present in the body is to be a blessing to the body of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where's the downside to any of it? In Christ, because of his work on our behalf, our righteousness is a gift from God that comes to us by faith and not by works. By faith and not by works. Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life, reign in life, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Say it out loud. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I am to rule and reign in life. In Christ, we are to rule and reign over every circumstance and all the works of the enemy. Our righteousness comes by faith, Romans 3.22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So through faith we are made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness then is available to all who believe. Abraham, the father of our faith, was declared righteous by faith. Galatians 3.6, consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 17 to 19, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were against, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the Sarah's womb was also dead. Faith doesn't deny the circumstances. Faith believes God in spite of the circumstances. And you know, people are cruel. People are cruel. I just read Hebrews 11 the other night. People are cruel. They'll say things like this. Well, I know somebody and, and, and they were believing God and they were, their heart was full of faith and they died. And the answer to that is, well, I'd hate to die any other way. You, when you read the Faith Hall of Fame, we always love the first verses. We do, we do, we do. All the success stories, and, you know, we love all of that. But you got to read the whole thing. I mean, they didn't all get everything they were believing for. But toward the end of chapter 11, it specifically says that they all believed God to the end. And that's what they get credit for. Amen. I don't know where all this fear comes from. In the body of Christ. There's no downside. There's no downside. 
There's no doubt. I mean, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand the fear. There's no downside. Not, not, not if you, see, if you have fear in your heart, you're not doing Christianity properly. And there are people here this morning, and you, you nurse, you nurse worry. It's your pet. It's like picking your nose. It's a habit you never got rid of. You, you nurse it. Worry about this, worry about that. No, no good comes out of worry. And it is a violation of a commandment, not just of the word of God. It is a violation of a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6. You can't add to your height. I've wished I was two, two inches taller for, I don't know, 45 years now. It is what it is. Amen. 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 Worry accomplishes nothing. If we, would, if we would spend the time that we spend worrying, studying, and confessing the word of God, well, then we could, make, we could change our lives. But worrying doesn't do anything. It just tears us up on the inside. Amen. Amen. So why do so many Christians fail to live a blessed life? Well, they don't actually live as, as if they are the righteousness of God in Christ. They don't actually live a sanctified life, a life set apart unto God. And I'm full gospel. I've been full gospel now for 60 years. You know, I mean, we started going to a full gospel church when I was five years old. Uh, I love full gospel people, but I'm telling you, man, the hills are full of these Pentecostal people, and not just Pentecostal people, now charismatic people, and they sing all the songs, you know, I'm a friend of God, and uh, they go to church, and they celebrate being Christians, and, and but man, they just, they just live like the world, they just live like the world, I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Somebody might say, yeah, but I, you say that, man, you're just old, because I know these people, and you know, they drink in their home groups, and they do this and that and the other and all of that. Look, it'll look like it works for a while until somebody needs a miracle, and then we'll see whether or not it works. And let's face it, it takes a lot to kill a human being. Some of y'all, all the drugs you took, it's the grace of God you're sitting here right now. Let me ask you a question. If you could testify, come up here and testify that it takes a lot to kill a human being, I want you to stand up. I want everybody to see how many people it takes. Pastor, I'm, I'm willing to testify it takes a lot to kill a human being. Look around the room. It takes a lot to kill a human being. Look around the room. All right, you can be seated. It takes a lot. So my point is, you, you can be a part of a drinking church in your 20s because all things being considered, you'll survive it. Or your 30s or 40s or fit, but there's going to, see, all of that is going to be damage done and it's going to shorten your life. And then that doesn't even count 
The stuff that happens when people are drunk. Girls get raped when they're drunk. Uh, Girls get snatched and put into slavery when they're drunk. Our next door neighbor, our next door neighbor, our next door neighbor at our last house was out drunk on Lake Arlington boating around and the, the lake was high because of the rain and he went under a bridge and I guess wasn't thinking being drunk, see, impacts your ability to think that, that the water was higher than normal and it just didn't kill him, it decapitated him. A man younger than me. No good thing ever came out of alcohol. All you got to do is look at Lot's two daughters and the Moabites and the Ammonites to see, well, nothing good ever came out of that. Amen? Amen. And, And don't be one of these people that lets your young people tell you where to go to church because... A lot of young people want to go to a drinking church. It's all about drinking. I, I like being in a rich church. Amen. You know, that's my thing. Amen. Amen. Drinking. I went out on a double date once when I was in high school. The guy that worked for my dad's, uh, 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 my dad's partner's son. And, you know, I wasn't even thinking. And he ordered a pepperoni pizza and a pitcher of beer. I'd never drank beer. And, and I, he poured me a glass. And, and I drank some of that. And, and it was disgusting. But then to mix it with pepperoni pizza, I thought, you know... <laughs> I'm going to projectile vomit onto this girl that's here with us. So I, I, I said, you know, I, that was pizza. They don't sell Coke, so I had to get a Pepsi, which is a little less disgusting than beer. But, uh, I mean, I didn't, need a, I didn't need a master's degree or a doctorate degree to realize I didn't want to drink that. But people will, they'll, they'll leave the anointing of God for a beer. For a beer. It's amazing to me. I'm who God says I am. Say it out loud. I'm, I'm who God says I am. And one of the things God says I am, and one of the things God says I am, is the righteousness of God in Christ. So see, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do what Noah did. I don't want to get drunk and produce Ammonites and Moabites. And now we shift gears in a big way in this series. We have done the first thing we must confess is who we are in Christ. Now let's shift gears and go to the second thing we must confess, and that is where we are in Christ. Because the devil will have you believing you're under his feet. The devil will have you believing that he's pushing you around all the way down the road. 
This refers to your position or your standing in Christ. Somebody might say, where do you stand on this or that issue? Where do you stand with this or that? Well, this is the most important question. Where do you stand with God? To live a victorious Christian life, we must know our position, our standing in Christ. Many Christians live under oppression. Many Christians are defeated by the enemy simply because they do not know their position in Christ. The second thing we must confess is where are we in Christ? Where are we in Christ? Well, one thing is we have been crucified with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. You know who doesn't sin? Talk to me. You know who doesn't sin? A dead man. And we, we, don't, we don't have this cemented into our thinking. Say it out loud. I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Say it out loud. The life I live, the life I live is, Christ in me. is Christ in me. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, this, I know this is radical, and, and it takes some focus. My God. I flew, I flew to Mexico City once with T.L. Osborne. We were going to R.W. Shambach's crusade in Mexico City. He, he wanted T.L. to be there. T.L. called and said, you want to go with me? I said, sure. And, you know, Shambach was a good friend, so it all worked. And uh, it was during a day session, this woman brought this special child to R.W. Shambach, and the child had all, all kinds of conditions. And uh, I'm standing there talking to T.L. Osborne and R.W. Shambach, and this woman brings this child up. And, of course, R.W. Shambach looks at T.L. T.L. looks at me, and he says, you pray for this child. So I, I prayed my best prayer. And we get done. The lady goes off graciously, and T.L. did what he did as a teaching moment. And he said to me, he said, you wish you could heal her, don't you? I said, absolutely. And he said, well, you can't. He said, we can do things by the anointing, though, that we can't do any other way. I asked him once, on, we were flying to London, and I asked him, I said, what's the greatest miracle you ever saw? And he said, well, it was in Kisumu, Kenya. And he said, there was a boy that had been born blind. Not only had, been, had he been born blind, but he didn't have any eyeballs in his sockets. And he said, I never touched him. I never laid a hand on him. And he said, but his mother brought him to the stage because he heard the word. Say it out loud. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And his mother rushed him up to the stage and said, look, look, look what's happening. And he said, it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. He said, at the back of these empty eyeball sockets, he said it looked like bean sprouts that were, that were growing out of this kid's skull 
and they were moving and and the, the the like the head on the top of the bean sprout was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and these sprouts were moving and the the thing was getting bigger 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 and he said it took a few minutes but he said that kid grew eyeballs and then they tested him and he could see perfectly see I wish I knew more about the anointing I wish I knew more about the anointing, but I'm going to say, I said all that to say this. The, the person that wants to go drinking, they want to go pick a church because of drinking, they're living in the flesh. And that's not the way we're supposed to live because the old man's supposed to be dead. In one of Paul's epistles, he talks about how actually it all, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. It all goes back to one of the penalties of one of the penalties for murder in the Roman Empire, they would literally take the person that had been murdered and strap them to your back and they'd make you carry them all through town. Then, after you had done that for several days, they would put a tiger in a sack, tie the tiger and the sack to you and the dead body and throw you in the Tiger River. And you know how cats don't like water. And so in one of Paul's epistles, he's talking about how, stop carrying that old dead man around. Because you know what? That, and, and the Democrats now are going to make uh, marijuana federally legal nationwide, all 50 states. People are dumb enough already. We, we don't need marijuana legalized in 50 states. But see, it's that old man, it's that old man, it's that old man, you know, I, I need to join. It's that old man, I need to bud. It's that old man, you know, I need to drink. It's that old man that wants a different woman. It's that old man. It's that old man wants to change churches so, so I, can go, I can go to a church where we can go to a home group and, and eat crummy uh, uh, what do they call that where people bring food? Potluck. God, help us all. And, 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 and drink, you know, drink. And, and you know they're defeated, and you know they're natural, and you know they're carnal, because if we had the mind of Christ, if we had the mind of Christ, we would not be thinking them on, I need a drink, or I need a different woman, or, or, I, or I need, the, you know, any of that, I need a reefer or whatever. We would be thinking, I need, to, I need to study the word, I need to pray, I need to focus, I need to be in church so I can learn how to let Christ live in me so that when I come across somebody who's blind or lame or halt, that, that, because if, if I could just learn how to let Christ live in me, listen to me, if I could just learn how to let Christ live in me, then I could do the works of Christ on the earth. Amen. See, that's what's important, not, not needing a Bud Light. That's what's important, not needing another potluck. Christians need another potluck like they need another Fauci. Yeah, that's what, that's what haunts me. That's what T.L. said that day. Man, he taught me a life lesson. He said, you wish you could heal her, don't you? Absolutely. But this Christ, he's in us. He's right here. He's in us. But see, we haven't, we haven't studied, we haven't focused, because, you know, we're worried about this, we're worried about that. 
It's kind of hard to focus, isn't it? When, they, when they, they get on TV every 24 hours and they do everything they can to scare the living daylights out of you, it's, it's, it's a challenge to focus, but Christ is in us. But how do we let him live through us? Because he came to destroy the works of the devil. There's not one time, you can't find one time he denied anybody deliverance. You can't find one time he denied anybody healing. You cannot find one time. Now, there were plenty of people that didn't get healed, but they didn't come and ask. They were just there, the hoi polloi, the crowd. But not one time did anybody come to the Lord and specifically request a healing or a deliverance, and they were turned down, they were denied. There's not one time, and, and you know as well as I do, that there were no Christians there because Jesus had not gone to the cross, he had not gone to hell, he had not been buried, he had not been raised from the dead. There was not a Christian alive in Jesus' day. And he didn't deny anybody anything. And he never one time let something stupid come out of his mouth like, you, you're not qualified, you're not worthy, you're undeserving. He didn't talk like that. Who talks like that? The devil and the government. That's right. <laughs> Say it out loud. Christ lives in me. I just need to learn how to let him do it. Because there's no problem we couldn't solve. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Lift, lift up both hands and shout it to the heavens. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Shout it again. Christ lives, in me. Christ lives in me. See, that's why Paul says, you, why, why would you go lay down with a prostitute? Because you're joining Christ to a prostitute. See, and when you want to go to a drinking church or you let your young people drag you off to a different church so that they can drink, you want to inebriate Christ? You want, you want Jesus inebriated? See, we live carnal lives because we have not renewed our mind to the Word of God. We live, we live defeated lives because we live carnal lives. Our lives, if you haven't figured it out, they no longer belong to us. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.